Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. You know, one of the things that I see a lot of Christian couples make, one of the mistakes that I see a lot of Christian couples make, is that they abide in the past. They live, think, feel, and act with the past in mind. And that's why Many don't say it, but they think it, or at least they don't say it out loud to other people, but maybe they say it between themselves. They say, you know, I can't have a good marriage because I was divorced. I can't have a healthy marriage because I've been hurt too much. We can't be happy anymore because I've made too many mistakes. Somebody once said that the only thing you can do with your past is relive it. That the only thing you can do with your past is to repeat it again. And I I, want to tell you something, and I'm not preaching yet. I'm just preparing you for the sermon. I want you to know that if this is you during this series and you're saying, you know, what's the point, Pastor? We got so much baggage. We got so much issues. We have so much history. I want to remind you of something. The word of God says that his mercies are new every day. His mercies are new every morning. The word of God says that those that are in Christ are what? A new creation. That the old has passed and that the new has come. Your past only has power upon your marriage if you let it. If you use it as an excuse, the enemy will keep you in the same place. And here's just what I want you to know. God has given you the green light to move beyond your past. In marriage, in marriage, we make mistakes. We say things that we later regret. And unfortunately, we go through things that scar our heart. But that's the beauty about Christ. That he's come to make mercy available and new every day. So I want to set you free. Not me. I want to set you free with the word of God to move past your past. Amen? I believe that this series is going to help you. I believe that your marriage, your relationships, and those of you that are not married, uh, some of these principles apply to your relationships with your friends, with your siblings, with your loved ones, with coworkers, and so on. I believe that your marriage will be better because of this series. And there's two things I want you to look forward to. You ready? On March 20th, on the end of this series, we're going to have a renewal of vows ceremony. We're planning something beautiful. We want you to get ready. Some of you, you're not talking to each other. So you got about four more weeks to start talking to each other, okay? 
We're going to have a renewal of vows. We're going to do something wonderful. We, we're we're going to have a photo booth that says, I still do, where you can take pictures again and say, we refresh, we renew our marriage that day. So start working on that, okay? We're going to have, uh, we're going to help you with some general vows, but then we want to give you some time for you to just sweep your bride off her feet. And then you ladies as well, you get to pump your husband up and say some beautiful words. Amen. So that is going to be March 20th. But here's another thing we want you to know. We're going to be raffling something wonderful that day. If you're married, when you walked in, you should have gotten one of these little tickets. If you didn't get one, make sure you see Rosie. Rosie, raise your hand. And for those of you that are online, let us know that you're online and we'll do a ticket for you with your name on it. Okay. But every Sunday you come, we're going to give you a ticket. And then on social media, we're going to be asking couples to share a picture with us of when you were dating or when you got married. We want to do something special. And if you do that, if you share a picture with us, we're going to give you an extra ticket. And on March 20th, we want to raffle. You ready for this? A hotel night and a dinner. Amen. I want to win. That's why I got my ticket and I'll be here every Sunday. If you're not married, if you're not married and you're single, sorry, this is the one time we have to exclude you because we don't want you to sin. Okay. We want to help. We want to help married people win. So if you didn't get one of these, make sure you get one. Even if your spouse isn't with you, We want you to get one, and we hope that you win. We just want to bless marriages, and we're going to give you God's word, but we also want to give you some practical tools for you to bless your marriage. Amen. Are you excited about that? So don't lose it. Don't lose it. If you lose it and we call out your number and you say, oh, that was my number. In fact, here's what you could do. Rosie, I think we're okay to do this. Take a picture of it. Take a picture of it. So that if you do lose it, at least you have proof that you had that ticket. Okay? Amen? Are you ready? Ready, ready? Let's pray and we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence in this place. Lord, we want a new marriage. Not with a different person. With the one you gave us because you knew what you were doing even even if we didn't. So Lord, I pray that we would be transformed by your word that we would be transformed as we, as we spend time in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. I want to talk to you today about having a successful marriage. I don't think we use that expression, but I think we all have that sentiment. I don't think anybody gets married to have a miserable marriage. I don't think anybody gets married just to divorce and end up with more pain and more dysfunction in their life. But when we think about success, the one thing we hardly ever think of is the role that our attitude plays when it comes to our marriage. And here's what I want you to walk away with today. If you don't take nothing else, if you fall asleep, which if you do, I'm going to throw something at you. But, but here's the one thing I want you to take away. Your attitude can make or break your marriage. And if you're not married, your attitude 
can make or break your relationships. Many times, marriages fail not because they don't have love, but because they have a bad attitude. Can I say that again? I thought somebody was going to say amen or at least ouch. Sometimes marriages fail not because they run out of love, but because they have a bad attitude. You can't have a successful marriage with a bad attitude. You can't have a healthy marriage with a bad attitude. Your attitude in marriage and about marriage matters greatly. Why? Well, because it is your attitude that tells you how to think, how to respond, how to act in certain issues that have to do with marriage. And if you have a bad attitude, you'll always find what's wrong in every situation. But if you have a good attitude, you'll always find what's good in every situation. So before we go any further, not to condemn you, that is never my intention, but to get you to reflect, let me ask you two questions. Do you have a good attitude? Do you have a good attitude? Would your spouse, would your kids, would your siblings say, you know what, they just have an awesome attitude. And and then here's the second part. Do you have a godly attitude? Is your attitude godly? See, these two are very important. And and I want to share really quickly with you four truths about attitude because I I don't know how to read minds, but I know how to read faces. And some of you, you got those faces that like, "Mm, Pastor, I don't have a good attitude, but if you only knew who I live with. (laughs) Pastor, I don't have a good attitude, but if you knew my circumstances. I I can't read minds, but I could read faces. So let me give you four truths about your attitude. Your attitude, you ready? Somebody needs to write these down, especially if you have a bad attitude. Okay, you ready? Here's the first truth. About your attitude. I'm not talking about your spouse's attitude. I'm talking about yours. Okay? Don't point fingers. Look at the mirror. You ready? Here's the first truth. The first truth about your attitude is that you choose your attitude. No one chooses it for you. You choose it. I know you've said, oh, you make me be this way. Nobody makes you be that way. You choose, you let yourself be that way. Whatever attitude you have, you chose to have it. It is possible to have a good attitude in bad circumstances. Here's the second truth about your attitude. You, it is not caused, your attitude is not caused by people or circumstances. Oh, pastor, if you just knew what I went through, You still have a choice. Remember Paul? Paul was in a dungeon. Ready to possibly die. And what was he doing? Complaining on Facebook? All these fake Christians that I left my family for. None of them come visit me anymore. Where's the so-called Christians? How come they don't? No, what was he doing? The guy was having a praise party in the dungeon. Horrible circumstances, 
positive attitude. So we got to stop blaming other people or our circumstances. Here's the third truth. God rewards good attitudes and disciplines bad attitudes. God rewards good attitudes, but he disciplines bad attitudes. God is a good father, but he's not a spoiling father. And he wants good behaving children. So if you got a bad attitude, God is not going to give you the way. He is going to correct you. Can I prove this to you? James says, it's not in your outlines, but James says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proudful person, but he, res- but he gives grace. He's kind. He's, he's extravagant with those that are humble. Pride and humility are attitudes. They're attitudes. And God disciplines us he he brings discipline to our life when our attitude is not good and then the fourth one is that attitudes can't predict your future your attitude says a lot about what awaits you in the future you got a bad attitude you can't expect good things you have a nasty attitude you can't expect to be surrounded by people Your attitude will tell you a lot about what awaits you in the future. Those are good, aren't they? Those are good, aren't they? They hurt, but they're good. Amen? So, let me ask another question. Do you want a successful marriage? Well, you cannot have a successful marriage without a good attitude. And the good news for you and for me is that the word of God tells us the kind of attitude we need to have. You don't have to go to Bible school to figure it out. You don't have to have a PhD to figure it out. It's really simple. God made it really simple. In fact, I'm going to make it even more simple for you. You ready? You know what is the attitude that leads to success, not just in marriage, but in any relationship, and I would even add in life, when we have the attitude that was in Christ. When our attitude is that which was in Christ, then we're set up for success. Look at what Paul says. Open your bulletin inside. There's an outline. Look at what Paul says to the church, to the, to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. You must have what? The same, the same attitude that was that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Here's what you need to know. Paul tells us the kind of attitude that Jesus had towards his bride. Who's his bride? You and me. The church. church. You and me. Look at the type of attitude that Jesus had towards the relationship with you and me. The first thing he tells us is that he surrendered his right to be God. 
In other words, he never stopped being God. Jesus was always divine, but he surrendered his position at the right hand of the Father to come be with you and me. He left heaven to come be next to his bride. He left beauty. He left paradise to come and be in a messy place with his bride, you and me. Not just that. Paul tells us that Jesus took responsibility for his bride. He took responsibility and ultimately paid the highest price for his love towards his bride. And that is that he paid for the sins, that he paid for the fault, that he paid for the blame that belonged to his bride. Look at what 1 Peter 2.24 says. It says, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and alive for what is right. By his wounds, you are what? Healed. The word healed is to be made whole. It's not just speaking of being sick and now you are no longer sick, but it speaks about being whole. See, successful marriages, successful relationships develop the attitude that was in Christ. Which means, you ready? They're willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of that marriage. They take responsibility for what happens and for the outcomes of that marriage. So what I want to do today with the time I have left is that I want to amplify this attitude of Christ and be very specific as to what does it mean to have that attitude in marriage. Now, not all of these apply to single people or to a relationship between a father and a son, but some of them do. But I have marriage in mind. So, so let's, look at, let's look at the attitudes of success. Number one, if you want the attitude that leads to a successful marriage, here's the first thing. You have to accept the responsibility to love your spouse. You have to accept the responsibility to love your spouse. Look at what Ephesians 5.25 says. Look at this. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Listen to me, church. Everything Christ did for you and for me, he did out of love. Nothing he did, he did because he was forced to. Nothing he did, he did because he was mandated to. Everything he did for you and for me was always, always, always out of love. Why did he humble himself? Because he loved you. Why did he empty himself? Because he loved you. Why was he willing to carry your sins? Because he loved you. Why was he willing to die on the cross? Because he loved you. Everything he did, he did because he took responsibility to love us. Sometimes we can't even empty the trash can out of love. 
And the attitude that leads to success is that attitude that says, I take responsibility to love my spouse. Now, I I see a lot of ladies nodding and the guy's very stiff. Hang on, guys. Hang on. I'm getting to the ladies. Ladies, just in case you think that that is a one-way street, look at what Paul writes in Titus 2, chapter 3 and 4. He says, similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that what? Honors God. What what is one of the ways that honors God? Well, he goes on to say, he says, these older women must train the younger women to what? To love their husbands. What is the best way to train somebody? To show them. To model it. Say, look, look. Doesn't pick up his calzones, but I still love him. Show how to love. Now, here, here, here's what you need to notice. Paul, when Paul uses the word love or to love, it is always a verb and not a noun. It is always an action. It is always a behavior. And one of the mistakes that, that we have in, in marriages is that we say, but we don't do. And saying is good, but doing is better. We got to show them. You can't, well, I love you. I'm not going to throw out the trash, but I love you. That's cheap talk. That's weak talk. We can't do that. But, but the other thing that we also need to understand is that love is much more than a feeling. Love for, for the married couple, for the Christian, love needs to be much more than an emotion. I remember when I was in high school, and uh, if you're my age or older, um, all the new people are going to think I'm talking alien. But when I was in high school, remember the Love Is newspaper cartoons? How many of you guys are guilty of ever cutting one out and giving it to somebody? Come on. Look at all the trollos we... No, I'm just laying... (laughs) to cut those out we used to have newspaper i know you young people you don't know what newspaper is like we just open yahoo right Uh, but back in the days there used to be a little cartoon called love is and and every day they would change it love is giving her your umbrella love is giving her the last bite of your sandwich love is Writing her a love note just because they were awesome. They were awesome, right? They were, I used to cut those out and give them to Lorena. I think she still has them saved somewhere. I think. But here's the thing. Love is much more than a behavior. And what I want to do is I want to help you take responsibility for loving your spouse by giving you a biblical foundation of what love is. Now, I need to warn you in advance Some of you are not going to like these. But here's my argument if you don't like them. My argument towards you would be, well, consider the outcome that we have been getting because we haven't been seen, because we don't see love the way the Bible says we need to see it. Consider the outcome. If you don't see love the way the Bible says, consider what has been the outcome in our society. You ready? Here they are. Number one, love is, the first thing that love is, 
is that it's a commandment. Love is a commandment. Look at what 2 John 1.16 says. It says, love means doing what God has what? Commanded us. And he has commanded us to what? Love one another. Guys, church, can, can, I, just be, can, can I just speak honestly? It's not always easy to love our spouse, is it? I'm not just talking to guys. I'm talking to ladies. You don't wake up every day with butterflies in your stomach for them, right? There are days that love is hard. Even in those days, we as Christians are commanded to love one another. What is the greatest commandment? Remember Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What did he answer? Love God and love others. What was the last commandment that Jesus left? What was the law of Christ? What was the one thing he said? A new command I leave unto you. What was it? To love one another just like he had loved us. Love for us is a commandment. And here's, here's why. Here's, so pastor, you're telling us to force it? What if we don't feel it? Well, learn. The Bible says that if you do not love, you do not know God. And if you say you love God whom you haven't seen, but can't love that wonderful person that you live with, that you're a liar. Love is a commandment because we have come to know true love. God is love. God is love. But here's the second thing that the Bible tells us that love is. Love is a decision. Love is not just a commandment, but love is a decision. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, Let love be your highest goal. Hey, you know those days where it's not so easy to love your spouse? You still can choose to love your spouse. It's not easy, but you still can. We can never say, I, I, just, I just cannot. There is no way I cannot. No, there is always a way to love. While we were still sinners, he loved us and died for us. Can I tell you something? When it's hardest to love our spouse is when love is the needed the most. I mean, think about those hard arguments. Think about those, you know, moments you've had. What's, what, what's going to change it? You being right? You coming up with the best argument you can? You know what changes things? Love. Love never fails. So love is a choice. Oh, I don't think I could love you anymore. No, no. You choose not to love anymore. Here's the third thing. Love, the Bible tells us that love is also a behavior. Love is a behavior. It's not just words. It's not just a commandment. It's not just a decision. Love is action. First John 3, 18 says, Dear children, let us not merely say we love each other, but let us show the truth by what? Our actions. I hope you tell each other how much you love each other. But please don't stop at words. Stop by and get some flowers. By the way, ladies, if you don't do this, 
I have a new commandment for you. Not from the Lord, but from me. Okay? On Valentine's Day, we like gifts too. Guys, no help? Some guys say, no, because if we get a gift, I have to pay for it. It doesn't matter. Even better. Even better. Tell each other how much you love each other, but show it by your actions. If, if, if you've never read the five love languages, you got to read it. I'll tell you quickly what it is. In this book, the author says that there is five ways that we perceive love, that we receive love. One of those ways is through gifts. Another is physical touch, not sexual touch, physical touch. The other is quality time. Um, the other is kind words. And can anybody think? Um, acts, of acts, of acts of service. Is that you? That's yours? Yeah. <laughs> you got to know what your spouse's love language is because that's the way they feel loved. You know what Lorena's love language is? Quality time. She, she wants to just sit down and watch a movie. You know what my love language is? Gives. Give me something. Buy me some hot Cheetos. Give me a boba on your way home. You know? Know each other's love language and learn to speak it. Here's the, here's the next thing that the Bible tells us about love. And that is that love is a commitment. Love is a commitment. And this is, this is where it might get a little rough. Are you ready for it? Look at what Genesis 2.24 says. It says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into what? One. Biblically speaking, marriage is not a test drive. Marriage is not a lease. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a commitment. So if you're married, you need to get the D word out of your vocabulary. Well, you don't like it? Leave. You cannot. Because biblically speaking, marriage is what? A commitment. A commitment until death. Okay, and one of the mistakes that we have made is that we've made love a feeling. So when things get tough, it's easy to say, well, if I have to work at it, then it's not love. No, true love has a price. If you don't believe me, just ask Jesus how much it cost him to love you. Love is a commitment. Love is a commitment between you two, but also before God. Remember your vows? You, I promise to be with you through riches and need, through health and through sickness. You made a covenant. You made a commitment. And an attitude that leads to success is an attitude that takes responsibility to love their spouse and to love them the way the Bible says that love needs to be. Amen? Number two, number two. If you want a, an attitude that leads to success... You have to accept the responsibility to build up your spouse. You got to build them up. Can I tell you something? You have the spouse that you've created. Thank you. One person got it. You have the spouse that you created. 
I'll prove it to you in just a minute. But look at what 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says. It says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. I think if Paul were to refer that to married people, he would say, build each other up, encourage each other up, just like you did when you were dating. You have the spouse that you have created. Now, here's the thing. There's a difference between controlling your spouse and building up your spouse. Most of us, we want what? To control them. We want to be able to punch in the buttons and have them do what we want. The difference between building somebody up and trying to control somebody is the difference between nagging and encouraging. Do you know there's a difference, right? Some people think nagging is encouraging, but it's not. There's a big difference between saying, man, you're fat. (laughs) And saying, honey, I got you a gym membership and some really cool gym clothes. That's building them up. Nobody gets built by shame. Oh, look at you. You're so fat. Look, your shirt is too... What do you think they're going to do? Oh, you're right. No. (laughs) There's a big difference between saying, honey, you dress like an old lady. And saying, honey, this Saturday, clear your schedule. Because I'm going to take you shopping and I'm going to help you pick your clothes. See, you have the spouse you have been building. You don't like what they eat? Start cooking some healthier stuff. Stop buying junk food. You don't like what they watch? Build them up. Build them up. How do we build each other up? How, do, how can you build your spouse? Really simple. Romans 12.10 says, Love each other with genuine affection. And look at this. And take delight in honoring each other. When you seek to honor your spouse, you'll build them up. And to honor is to, to elevate, to give importance to, to give weight to. Now, let me show you some quick ways that you can build up your spouse. Okay, three ways, three things that you could do to honor them, to, to help them be better. Number one, as I mentioned, through your words, through your words. If he comes in from work and the first thing you, you, you have to tell them is a complaint, They say that for every negative word, you should give them five to six positive words. I think we have that the other way around, right? It's like, honey, you know, you're you're wonderful, but I want you to know that you're out of weight. Um, The car is a mess. Um, The honey-do list you haven't done. You know, we got all these negative things. You don't build somebody up by telling them all the negative things. You build them up by telling them about their potential. Here's a second way you can build them up. Through your support. Through your support. To physically help them do something. Do what you can so that they can achieve their best. We'll talk a little bit more on the the third point about that. And then here's the last one. You build up your spouse through your trust. Now, this is not a trust that they're not 
that, that, that they're not being faithful. That, that is not the kind of trust I'm talking about. The trust I'm talking about is the trust where you believe that they're able to do great things. Where you believe in their dreams. Where you believe in their abilities. Where you believe in their goals. Where you believe in the things that they have set out to do. When you believe in them, you infuse trust in them and they will become a better person. But if they share their dreams with you and you say, well, you already tried that. Right? So that is the second attitude. You take responsibility for building your spouse up. And here's the last one, and I'll finish up with this. If you want an attitude that leads to success, to a successful marriage, you have to accept the responsibility to serve your spouse. To love them to build them up, and to serve them. Look at what the Bible says in Ephesians 5.21. Be willing to help and care for each other because of what? Can I tell you that the number one most damaging attitude that I see in a lot of people going into marriage is regarding this point? Many people, young people, and perhaps maybe you at one time did this, they go into marriage with this attitude and this question in mind. Look, look at this question. Can we go to the question? What can you do for me? What can they do for me? Oh, they're going to make me happy. They're going to, they have a good job. They're so handsome. They're, 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 they're going to make me feel good. And this is an attitude, not of servanthood, but of consuming. What can you or what can somebody else do for me? Which, by the way, church, the day that we stop asking this question when it comes to church, our church is going to change. Here's the best question for marriage, for your relationships, and for church. Here's the right question. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Hey, picture with me. Picture with me. I know you're going to say, Pastor, you believe in unicorns? Just picture with me. Can you imagine if throughout the day your spouse told you, hey, honey, how can I help you? Can you imagine that? Can you, if you're a parent, can you imagine if your kids throughout the day, they said, mom, how can I help you, mom? Did I die and go to heaven? Right? Because this is a better question. What can I do for you is a lot better than what can you do for me. And and see, successful marriages are marriages that are willing to serve one another. Single people, if you don't like serving people, if you don't like living for somebody else, don't get married. Don't get married. You're going to be miserable. Because marriage involves giving up your life for the sake of somebody else. Now, here's the trick. I'll, I'll tell you why many people don't like serving. I'll tell you why. One word. And we don't like it, especially in our time. That in order to serve, we need to submit. We don't like submission. Oh, you know, I would help, but I don't like people telling me what to do. You don't like submission. You cannot be a servant unless you're willing 
to submit. And that's one of the reasons many marriages are not successful. Because you got two heads when there should only be one, and not her or her, but Christ. You want to develop an attitude of servanthood? I'll give you the three, the three steps. Number one, you got to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is just your savior, but not your Lord, you have the equation incomplete. In fact, he cannot be your savior until he is your Lord. The first step is you got to submit to the Lordship of Christ. If you don't know what that means, I got good news for you. We're going to be studying Colossians and life groups, and we're going to talk exactly about that. So join one. But the second thing you need to do is you got to accept the truth and the power of the word of God for your everyday life. You got to submit to the word of God as the norm of your life. In other words, it is what the Bible says, not what I feel, not what the polls say, not what everybody's doing. It is what the word of God says that it is how I guide my life. If you submit to the Lordship of Christ, and if you submit to the authority of the word of God, then you can do the third one, which is submit to your marriage and say, I want my marriage to work. And if I have to wash the bathroom once a week in order to be happy, I'll do it. But if you are not willing to submit, it won't work. I want to leave you in a very uncomfortable spot. You ready? If you're married or even if you're not, okay, you just have to change a word around. But if you're married, here's what I want you to tell yourself all week long. You ready? I am a servant to my spouse. You cannot demand that, but you can offer that. Wait a minute. Listen to me. And before you say, no, pastor, you don't understand. Before you climb your high horse, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ became a servant to love you and to win you. So if he could do it, you can do it. If he wasn't good, too good, you definitely are not too good. And if he did it and he was able to win you, let me tell you, when you do it, your marriage will succeed. I am a servant to my spouse. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. 
We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.